This is Greg Harmon at Deceleration, and uh, I'm on the phone with Lanny Sinkin. Uh, Lanny, the, the former executive director at Solar San Antonio here, and it's a position uh, in which you succeeded your father, who a man celebrated as a, a champion of uh, racial integration back in the day and, and social justice more broadly, obviously as an advocate of clean energy. Uh, can you, uh, I wonder, can you describe to me your work there and, and how that related to your uh, environmental uh, concerns going going back much further? Yes, well, I'm, uh, my work here has been on multiple issues and with multiple groups and individuals, but it has, I think, a common theme. Uh, the common theme is that the planet's in deep trouble, and we better do something about it real quick. And so any available avenue for doing something about it needs to be encouraged and explored and developed. Mm -hmm. So um, among the involvements I have here are I, I serve as an advisor to a man that thousands of people now believe is the king who has come to restore the independent nation of Hawaii. Mo most people in the United States are not aware of that part of their history. Mm -hmm. uh, back, back in 1893, the United States minister to Hawaii uh, landed Marines in Honolulu to back up a coup by sugar growers against the legitimate government of the Kingdom of Hawaii. Uh, the Kingdom of Hawaii was a full-fledged member of the, the community of nations, had diplomatic recognition from the United States, treaties with the United States, and all of that. But that did not prevent the U.S. minister from landing Marines to back up the coup and then granting recognition to the provisional government that was set up by the uh, basically non-Hawaiians, uh, to take over and annex Hawaii to the United States. That was their goal. Right, right. Um, so, so all of that went down, and eventually the United States pretended to annex Hawaii. Actually, no annexation treaty was ever ratified. Mm. They did it by a, a joint resolution, which is kind of silly that one nation thinks it can pass a resolution and annex another nation, but <laughs> that's basically what happened. Right, right. Um, and... Since that day, there has been a sovereignty movement in Hawaii mm -hmm. to restore the nation of Hawaii. See, I mean, so we're I talking 100 years, I mean, 80 years, or how many years is this? Uh, where are we now? 130 years since yeah. the, uh, the Marines were landed, but okay. it's still going strong. Uh -huh. um, and actually, in, in 1993, the United States Congress passed and the uh, President Clinton signed a bill apologizing to yes. the Hawaiian people right. for, their, for the illegal overthrow of their government. Mm -hmm. And I encourage everybody to just Google the apology resolution in Hawaii and just read it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very straightforward history that says, you know, everything that was done was wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're sorry, but we're not going to do anything about it. Right, right. Well, <laughs> I noticed in 2012 the rapporteur for what, the United Nations uh, uh, Declaration on Indigenous Rights, I believe, came out there and recommended uh, the U.S. revisit that. Has it come up, the sovereignty movement come up within the well, within Congress in any way? No, not really. What, what's happening is uh, the Department of Interior, the United States Department of Interior, has issued a rule on how a government could be formed by Native Hawaiians Mm -hmm. that would establish relations with the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. The model is very similar to the Native uh, American model, mm -hmm. that basically they would convert Native Hawaiians into a tribe and then have a tribal relationship with the United States government. Now, this is all a sham, mm -hmm. uh, because just to, 
what tells the whole story is that in the title of the rule, they use the word reestablish a government-to-government relationship between Native Hawaiians and the United States government. There never was a relationship between Native Hawaiians and the United States government. The relationship was the Kingdom of Hawaii mm-hmm. with the right. United States government. Right, right. And nation in the Kingdom nation. of Hawaii, yeah. in the Kingdom of Hawaii, there were Native Hawaiians, but there were also French and Dutch and whatever mm-hmm. ancestries. Mm-hmm. And so they want to split the kingdom, basically, mm-hmm. take the Native Hawaiians out of the kingdom, make them into a tribe, and extinguish the kingdom once and for all. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do out here. Yeah. And when the Department of Interior came out here to hold hearings, uh, more than a thousand people showed up for those hearings, and 95% of them said, "Go home and give us our nation back." Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me let me ask. I'm gonna, I want to ask you a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, I've been doing a little bit, as I mentioned earlier, before uh, we went on air, um, of writing and research relating to Standing Rock and Indigenous uh, sovereignty movements, uh, movements to claim. Uh, rights that, that, that have not been given, um, but are owed. And uh, But I want to ask you about some particular work that, that you've been doing there uh, since you've returned to Hawaii, gotten involved with the kingdom work. Um, now, you're a, an attorney by background, and I know you've gotten involved in, in some of these cases kind of deep at the heart of this struggle as they're manifesting on the ground there, one involving the 30-meter telescope uh, uh, and the University of Hawaii. Can you describe that process and how um, how you are involved there? Sure. Um, th- this actually goes back into the 1970s mm-hmm. when the astronomy community identified Mauna Kea, the, the um, mountain on my island of Hawaii here, mm-hmm. uh, as an ideal site for building telescopes because of all kinds of conditions, the clarity of the air, the temperatures, and all of that, mm-hmm. made it an ideal site for telescopes. Mm-hmm. It also happens to be a sacred site for Native Hawaiians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they basically have bulldozed past the Native Hawaiians and built 13 telescopes okay. on the summit of Mokitea already, already in place, and are now proposing to build the largest telescope ever, an 18-story monster, mm-hmm. on the summit of Mauna Kea. And this proposal has sort of been the last straw, uh, or one of the last straws at least. The, uh, the public opposition to this project has been fierce. Uh, when they, when they, they did get a permit from the state agency to build the telescope, when they tried to send a construction crew up to the site on the mountain to build the telescope, something close to 1,000 people showed up to blockade the road and there was a whole confrontation that went on all day long, and eventually the construction crew and, the, and the, the police officers and everybody involved gave up and turned around and went back down the mountain. Right after that, the Hawaii Supreme Court vacated the permit on the basis that the state agency had done things backwards. They had voted to grant the permit, and then they held the contested case on whether the permit should be granted or not. And the, the, the Supreme Court of Hawaii said, no, I'm sorry, but you have to, t- you have, to have the hearing first and give everybody a chance to be heard, right. and then you get to vote. That you sounds... don't vote before. It's sort of uh, indicative of prejudice uh-huh. that you vote before <laughs> hearing from anyone. So they sent it back to the, to the agency. The agency has now hired a new hearing officer and launched a new contested case. Um, I am representing uh, one of the traditional Hawaiian faiths called the Temple of Lono. 
mm-hmm. and I'm working with the kahuna of the Temple of Lono. He's also representing the faith, and we are challenging, we along with many others, are challenging the uh, permit process that the state is undergoing mm-hmm. and trying to stop this project once and for all. So you're, uh, what you say, an officer of the court then? Um, and and what, what arguments are you bringing forward uh, particularly that, ha- that haven't come up otherwise? Um, well, it's interesting. My position is actually just an, uh, an officer within the temple. Okay. And uh, as such, I have been asked by the kahuna to represent us in these hearings, and he represents us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issues we're raising, we've, we're actually trying to raise a number of issues, and the, the hearing officer appointed by the state agency is trying to block us from discussing any of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issues we're raising is, there, there, there was not in the past a representative of the actual ancient faith in these proceedings. And the fact that the kahuna has agreed to participate has really changed the energy of the hearings. And, and what he's saying is, why is it that my faith is called a culture while every other faith is called a religion? And it's because they're trying to hide the traditional faith of the Hawaiian people. There was an active suppression of that faith by the missionaries and by the Hawaiians influenced by the missionaries to the point that the faith went underground for more than 100 years. Right. And the faith, the Temple of Lono began to reemerge in 1978 mm-hmm. into, the, into once again practicing and was met with heavy repression mm-hmm. from the state of Hawaii even then. Yeah. So... Part of what we're trying to do is establish the right of the Temple of Lono to just practice without being oppressed. That's one thing we're trying to do. How does that, how does that manifest, uh, I'm sorry, but how does that manifest in this case, uh, whether uh, it is recognized uh, as a religion rather than a culture? Is there something different in the NEPA process or somewhere along in the procedural line? Um, no, th- this is, uh, well... Th- what raises the issue, maybe this will clarify it, mm-hmm. the University of Hawaii is applying for the permit. They are subleasing the land to the 30-meter telescope people. Okay. And, at, and the University of Hawaii, on their own website for their astronomy center, mm-hmm. it says the summit of Mauna Kea was held sacred by the ancient Hawaiian religion. Uh, past tense. And, and that... Um, it goes into great detail, not great detail, but some detail, uh-huh. about the nature of that sacred space and the fact it was so sacred that very few people ever entered it. Uh-huh. Well, in that presentation, the key word for us is the word was. Yeah, right. The, the, the right. summit was sacred. They right. are pretending that the, the traditional faith no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And the kahuna of the Temple of Lono is sitting there saying, what am I, chopped liver? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. The right. temple's here. Why, why are you presenting us as if we're a historical artifact mm-hmm. rather than a living faith? Right. So that's, that's sort of the nature of the, of the debate. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happened here is we, we filed a motion early on for a, a summary judgment, partial summary judgment, just on that issue. Mm-hmm. We wanted a judgment. Number one, the summit of the mountain is sacred. And number two, the traditional faith still exists. We want to get those solidified. Mm-hmm. Well, in their opposition to our motion for a partial summary judgment, the state of the uh, university filed an attack on the temple. 
as a fundamentalist, intolerant, intractable organization trying to impose its religious beliefs on everybody, trying to launch a religious crusade. Mm -hmm. uh, on and on they will basically describe the temple as how you would describe ISIS. Yeah, yeah. I can think of other well, crusaders. That doesn't, you know, seem... Yeah. <laughs> well, the Temple of Lona is about holding the sun, the ocean, the earth, and the fresh water as sacred because they provide food. Yeah. That's, that's the essence of the Temple of Lono faith. I mean, it's, it's about the, the sustaining of the civilization, the sustaining of the people by a garden. Mm -hmm. The fundamental nature of the, of the Temple of Lono practitioners is that they're gardeners. Yeah. So to yeah. say that these gardeners are out there trying to dominate civilization, intolerant, mm -hmm. and, they, and they didn't offer any basis for the attack. Right. Right. The only basis for the attack is that the Temple of Lono would not agree to let them build the telescope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, because we have a difference of opinion about the telescope, suddenly the te terrorist organization. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was troubling enough. What was even more troubling was once they did that, I filed a motion. Well, the, the time for filing pre-hearing motions had expired. Mm -hmm. So I filed a motion to file a motion out of time. In other words, file a late motion. And the motion I wanted to file would have said that the University of Hawaii is disqualified from receiving this permit because of the attack on the temple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The traditional faith of the Hawaiian people is specifically protected mm -hmm. in the Hawaiian Constitution. So this is a demonstration of bias or prejudice? It was a demonstration of bias, and because it was, it was an attack on the traditional faith, yeah. It was a demonstration that they didn't care about the constitutional protection of the faith. Mm -hmm. So how could you give a permit to someone that you know is going to affect the faith, mm -hmm. who has no respect for, and in fact is deeply hostile towards the faith? Mm -hmm. The hearing officer would not allow us to even file the motion mm -hmm. for disqualification. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that, you know, that tells you actually, if you're even partially legally inclined, mm -hmm. that tells you the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. The original permit the original permit was vacated because they didn't allow the opponents to be heard. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. Here we go again. Yeah. The issue of disqualification was decided without even giving us an opportunity to be heard. So we're going to be doing a lot more about that. I think that this error is fundamental mm -hmm. and that it basically calls for, for canceling the, the process. We'll see what happens. Where, so so where, where is it right now? What are the next steps? So what are you expecting? Well, right now I have uh, three motions pending, mm -hmm. uh, more than that, but three key ones. One is to rule that because the summit is sacred and because the traditional faith still exists and because the attempt to, make, to do the construction has created outrage in the community, those are the three elements that satisfy the state law as desecration of a sacred site. So I have filed a motion saying, look, we don't need to have a whole hearing to determine this. We already know mm -hmm. the summit is sacred. Mm -hmm. We already know that the people are outraged, mm -hmm. and we already know that the damage is being done. So let's just have a summary judgment that is desecration, which means you can't go forward. Mm -hmm. The second one is a summary judgment motion on disqualification, mm -hmm. saying the university is disqualified because of the attack on the temple. And the third one is a motion for the hearing officer to recuse herself and get another hearing officer because her bias is so obvious. So we'll see what happens with those. She's trying to rush the process. She has the formal hearing now to begin on October 11th. Oh, wow. And there's, okay. do yeah, there's dozens of things that haven't been decided. Right, right. 
Okay, it's much quicker than, than I was expecting. So, okay, uh, we'll be uh, definitely watching that. Um, the other, the other, uh, the other effort that, that I see you've been engaged with, and I know you fought uh, for in the past for cetacean rights, uh, particularly perhaps to uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but in protection to uh, U.S. naval practices, uh, maybe with the with the low frequency sonar. Um, yes. So, so, so it, Noah, uh, I think this is how it works. Noah is trying to ban. Uh, human uh, recreation or swimming with dolphins, uh, which, I mean, I've seen uh, uh, reports of, you know, damage in, in this way related to, you know, tourism practices. Um, and there's right. a lot of, you know, warnings you shouldn't do that, you know, even though it's legal, you go to these kind of theme park environments or marine environments. Now, you're lobbying uh, on behalf of allowing that relationship to continue. Can you explain to me uh, what's particular in, in your argument? Sure, I, I'd be happy to. And, and you've actually raised three or four issues just in that one question. Yeah, well, uh, you can unpack with, it. Yeah. Uh, let me just start with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. Okay. This is the body that gave the United States Navy the permit to conduct their low-frequency active sonar tests on humpback whales during their breeding and birthing season off the island of Hawaii mm -hmm. that led to an uprising on the island of Hawaii. We were putting people in the water around their broadcast boat because this low-frequency active sonar is a very powerful sonar right in the hearing range of the whales, and this? we didn't want them doing it. Uh -huh. What years? So now... Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying, around what time, what years are we talking about? Um, let's see, that was in the early 2000, okay. I think. Okay, okay. 2001, yeah, 2002, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I, I sued them five times right. when they were running those tests, and we, we finally got them to quit and go away. Mm -hmm. But they're still doing it, and they're, and they're using mid-level sonars now, and... Most recently, NOAA gave them a permit that would have allowed a take. Now, a take is like harassment, uh, disrupting their behavior, disrupting uh, their breeding or feeding. Those are takes. Right. They would have allowed millions, millions of cetaceans wow. to be subject to those kind of takes. Mm -hmm. And then they turn around and come to our island where people have been peacefully swimming with the dolphins for 25 years and have established a wonderful relationship with the dolphins and say, oh, no, no, you're harming the dolphins, and we're going to prevent you from swimming with them. Mm -hmm. When you read their document, their draft environmental impact statement, every time they come to the point of saying there's harm to the dolphins, it's always, well, there could be, there may be, mm -hmm. we don't have enough data to know, mm -hmm. on and on it goes. They have no definitive evidence of anything going wrong, mm -hmm. but they're asserting themselves into the situation that they're going to be protecting the dolphins. We see it as basically PR mm -hmm. for all the damage they've done to the cetacean community. Uh, now they're pretending to be the protectors of the cetacean community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that, that there's going to be very powerful opposition to this proposal mm -hmm. is that over those 25 years that people have been swimming with the dolphins, we have a collection of observations that tell us uh, that there's actually a very sophisticated civilization mm -hmm. within the dolphin community. It's a phenomenal, complex organization. And that if they come to swim with us, they do it by their own choice. Mm -hmm. nobody's, nobody's forcing them to do anything. They can be gone in an instant, as powerful swimmers they are. Mm -hmm. And they do come to swim with us. I've had my own personal experiences with them. Mm -hmm. And it's been just wonderful, heart-opening 
spiritual experiences. That's another issue that's going to come up. There's actually a church here that 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 makes part of their worship the swimming with dolphins. Oh wow! And we're okay. probably going to see some First Amendment issues yeah, come up okay. if they insist. Mm-hmm. But the the whole thing to us is just a sham. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 aren't really caring about the dolphins. They're more caring about yeah. pretending to care about the dolphins. Yeah. No, I, I hear you laying out that that dichotomy, I, I suppose, and. I'm just wondering where where do you see? I mean, there's obviously a lot of use that goes on uh, captive entertainments as well as guided kind of tours. Uh, how do you distinguish then uh, between good practice and exploitative practice? Well, you've you've touched on one of the real nerves for us uh-huh. that they would come out here and try and stop us from peacefully swimming with the dolphins because it disrupts their behavior. But they have no problem with people buying dolphins from the Solomon Islands right. and putting them into entertainment parks right. in little concrete tanks to live out their life in isolation for entertaining humans. Mm-hmm. You know, to us, it's like what what are you what scale are you operating on mm-hmm. that you would find that that suitable. Swimming with dolphins not suitable. Right, right. No, absolutely. I, I, I hear you. Uh, hear you there. Um, we're certainly going through uh, that uh, in incremental uh, uh, measures with uh, marine entertainments here. Uh, since certainly since Blackfish has been real helpful in yeah. uh, propelling that. Yeah, that's been. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me. I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the church. You mentioned dolphin civilization. Can you tell me about? Dolphinville. What is Dolphinville? What is your experience? What are the the maybe even the beliefs then you, uh, within the church you, you reference in terms of the spiritual relationship that people there uh, seem to have? Dolphinville. I mean, it's, it's uh, Dolphinville is immersion basically. It was it's sort of a loose term that was has been used worldwide mm-hmm. by people who have, who have been in the water with the dolphins mm-hmm. and had these incredible experiences mm-hmm. and sort of think of themselves as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now it's sort of it, it's solidifying into a real community mm-hmm. uh, in which there's there's certain principles that are out there, and the position of Dolphinville is the people who swim with dolphins every day have put out the protocols for how you do it safely and how you do it respectfully and they do everything they can to educate people you know you don't touch them you keep your arms to your side you don't chase them all the things that are needed to to maintain a nice peaceful relationship Mm -hmm. now the funding hasn't been there to get that information out as widely as we would like Mm -hmm. but i guarantee you that everybody that's in this loose association called dolphinville does everything they can to see that the dolphins are protected and that the experience is good for the dolphins and the humans. Mm -hmm. And what we know from experiences people all over the world have had here in our waters is heart-opening experiences, life-changing experiences, healing experiences, spiritual experiences. The testimonies go on and on, and people are filing their comments on the NOAA website, suggesting that NOAA doesn't have a clue as to what this real relationship is or what the potential for it is and that they're actually making a terrible mistake in one sense that we have an opportunity to establish a relationship with a, a non-human civilization. And there is an ongoing dialogue basically going on between the dolphins and the humans about that relationship and they want to cut off the communications. Yeah, there is so a, I think it's yeah. actually look at that and see a lot of ramifications of why they would want to cut off this communication. Mm-hmm. Because the dolphins teach how to live in peace, 
how to maintain harmony within the community, how to live in, in a sustainable way with your environment. And there's, there's people on this planet that don't want those things. Mm -hmm. So Dolphinville is really, it's a, more of a human construct. It's, it's developing kind of a wilderness ethic. You, this is how you practice. This is you know, how you behave. Uh, it's the best practices for, the, for those that would be in the water, uh, not necessarily describing a particular geography of, of dolphin, uh, you know, a pod or something like that. That's right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so this is, these are practices then, you know, what we're describing is practices that are, are generally best recommendations anywhere in the world, uh, various species, different pods, like that sort of thing. Well, and those practices, those practices are just the context okay. within which the deeper connections can be established. Mm -hmm. And the deeper experiences can be uh, experienced, okay. if you will. Yeah. You had mentioned, so it sounds like you've had those experiences. How, how, how would you describe communication or, or communion uh, with uh, the dolphins? Um, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift that question to the humpback whales. Okay. Because we have that relationship, too. So okay. back in the time when the Navy was here, I filed suit against the Navy to try and stop the testing. And while that suit was pending, I was on a boat off of the east coast of our island, off Hilo, mm -hmm. about three miles out. And along came a, a pod of spinner dolphins. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a pod of spotted dolphins. Okay. Everybody put on their gear and jumped in the water to go say hi. And that pod formed a circle. And they were all jerking their heads in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at what, what are they trying to tell us? Yeah. And here came three humpback whales. <laughs> And the, the three humpback whales were two adults and a baby. Yeah. And the first experience I had was about 30 feet below me. The baby did a full barrel roll uh -huh. and just was so cute and had me laughing so hard I had to take my snorkel out. Uh -huh. So the next experience I had was the energy changed and the waves were slapping me away from the boat and out into the open ocean. Mm -hmm. And I was whale calling. It sounds like the whales were calling. And this adult surfaced right underneath me, about 15 feet below me, and swam my feet. And then it swam out ahead of me, turned around, came straight back at me, turned and looked me in the eye, and ran its fluke over my head. Mm. Now, I understood that immediately to be a, an act of appreciation for the fact that I was in the courts trying to protect them. Mm. And they knew it. Mm -hmm. They knew who I was. And they knew what I was doing. So and they were also showing me their... The water around me didn't move. It was like a knife going through soft butter with that fluke. Mm -hmm. So it's also showing me the absolute mastery of the environment and yeah. who they really are. Yeah. And I just, I hung in the water just astonished yeah. at that experience. But when you've looked into the eye of a whale, your life has changed. Yeah. I, I've heard that. I've heard that before. So it sounds like, I mean, you've got the, the literal pat on the head here. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Shakti Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're going into spiritual, somewhat you would call it spiritual territory here. Can Can I ask you about um, kind of how your relationship with the Temple of Lono in and evolved, and particularly with um, with the king there, uh, Edmund uh, Kaliki Silva yeah. Jr. Uh huh. Yeah, Ed Kaliki Silva Jr. is the king that I'm serving as an advisor. And there's a, there's a very deep connection between the king and the traditional faith. Mm -hmm. And it actually comes around a land base, the sacred land base of the faith, which is an institution called a Pukuhonua. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, the sophisticated island civilization that the Hawaiian people set up really involved two different kinds of territories. One was, was the Ahupua'a, which was a triangle, basically. You took the top of the mountain, you drew a line all the way to the ocean, and then you took the top of the mountain, rotated around the island a little bit, and drew another line to the ocean. So you had a, a land sector that went from the mountain to the sea, and provided for fishing, growing areas, and forest areas to support that sector. Now, separate from the Ahupua'a was the Pukuhonua. This was an area under the Temple of Lono and the Temple of Ku, charged with feeding the people. And it was an area in which no acts of war were allowed. It was a peace area. So the chiefs they had so they could come to the Pukuhonua and settle that conflict without worrying about being attacked while they were there. And it's a remarkable institution. There's a lot more I can say about it. But that institution was also the fundamental uh, connection of the high chief. It, was, it gave the sovereignty of the, the island to the high chief that controlled that garden area. So the temple and the kingdom, when, when the high chiefs became the king, instead of the high when Kamehameha I established the first kingdom under a, a, a Western-style constitution, he also built at his capital a temple to the, to the god Lono, the god of the earth. Okay. Stay, basically staying, staying not, uh, not terminating the pre-realization, and simply adding to it a constitutional overlay so we can talk to these people that have come from far away who don't understand our system. We'll join we'll, we'll to their system so we can speak to each other mm-hmm. and it eventually produce the kind of recognition that the, the Hawaiians are hoping for mm-hmm. of their independence. Mm-hmm. So there's a very strong connection between the king, the Pu'uhonua, and the Temple of Lono. Okay. My involvement came... Um, well, the first time I went into court on suing the Navy over the sonar, there was this other guy in the court wearing a traditional Hawaiian dress who said he was there representing his ancestors, the whales. Hmm. And I said, okay, and I met him, and he was with the Temple of Lono. And, and the Temple of Lono, the, the Hawaiian uh, creation cosmology has a book called the Kumulipo. And it basically lays out the, their creation cosmology which is very similar to what Darwin said. Mm-hmm. It starts with the first polyp of coral in the ocean, mm-hmm. and it grows there, and it comes up on the land, and eventually it becomes humans. Mm-hmm. Everything before the humans is considered an ancestor. Mm-hmm. Right. And all the humans that have been here who have, have changed address and are no longer on this plane are also considered the ancestors. Sounds very so ancestral, yeah. worship, uh-huh. ancestral worship is a key component mm-hmm. of the temple. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... One day I got a call from this guy I had met in the, in the courtroom saying that the temple was going to go back to their altar, the traditional altar there for over a hundred, and do it. I'm sorry, you just, you're just shorting out just a little bit. The traditional temple had been there since when? The traditional altar had been there for more than a hundred years. The altar, okay, okay. Yeah, that's the altar that they were going to go to. And the location of the altar was inside a United States national park. That, that land had been given to the national park by one of the missionary families that took yeah. it away from the, the traditional faith. Yeah, you bet it had. <laughs> so he said he, that that he had sent a letter to the to the uh, national park saying that the temple was coming in to do the ceremony, and they had sent back an application for an event. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, no, don't fill it out. You don't need the government's permission to have your own religious practice under the First Amendment. So the temple decided, okay, fine, we're going in. Well, then Kahuna called me and said, would you please come with us? And I said, I would be honored to come with you. And we all thought that my role would be, you know, basically the First Amendment club on my shoulder. If anybody got out of line, I'd bop them over the head. That was your job. So, what's that? That was your job, is that what you said? That was my job. Okay. (laughs) Now, describe to me, though, a lot of people don't know the the word Kahuna. I mean, certainly it shows up in... I think you had mentioned airport burger bars. I mean, it's you. It's it's been appropriated yeah. in a lot of. Inappropriate. Can you describe that? What that position is, in fact? But it's it's it has lots of levels of meaning. Okay, one level of meaning is expert. Mm-hmm. Someone who's an expert in a given field is a kahuna. In okay. terms of the faith, it is the person that has the wisdom of the faith, the teachings of the faith, the knowledge of the faith in all of its depths that was passed from one kahuna to another mm-hmm. over the generations. Mm-hmm. Now, each family within the Hawaiian civilization, each family had a kahuna. Mm-hmm. It was a teacher, a healer, and a priest. Okay. Each family had those. And so uh, the, they formed a, a group within the society that had special obligations, special responsibilities, mm-hmm. what we call kuleana. Mm-hmm. So you had the chiefs and the ali'i, who were sort of the general managers of the civilization. You had the kahunas, who were the spiritual and and uh, ecological guides mm-hmm. of the civilization. And you had the makanana, which were the people that grew the food and harvested the sea and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So the kahunas were, were that group within the civilization. And that is their history is what has eliminated from almost all of the books about the traditional Hawaiian civilization. Mm-hmm. Because they were rejected, you know, by the, the missionary right. teachings as, as evil. Right. I mean, they were they were they were evil. They were the agents of the devil. Mm-hmm. So there were situations where Hawaiians uh, who converted to Christianity attacked the Kahunas of the traditional religion. We had one great huge battle that went on. Mm-hmm. So that's a very long and complex history. Well, that's the story that across the, yeah across the Americas. The story of colonization broadly. You know, Sounds, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and the king has issued a a, a strong support of the people at Standard Rock. Well, oh, oh, okay. Well, let me ask you about that. Finish up, if you would, just this your your story. You're coming into the national park to uh, oh, vi- yeah. visit okay. visit the altar, and then I want to ask you. I want to ask you about Standing Rock. I want to ask you about broader uh, sovereignty and uh, movements at work, indigenous movements. But yeah, okay. take, take well, us back to the park for a minute. Uh, I'll go back to the park, and we'll go all the way to the uh, outer limits here. <laughs> what happens, well, what happens the first day in the park is that uh, the, the, the guy I had met in the court is there. Mm-hmm. And he hands me a bag in which there is powder of a root called the ava plant. Mm-hmm. And the ava plant is a sacred drink throughout Polynesia. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has very... So he hands me the bag and says, please put this in the ava bowl. So what happens is you take the powder, you mix it in the bowl with water, and then people drink it. So I heard him say, put the powder in the bowl. I opened up the back, and I dumped the powder in the bowl. And this cloud of baba dust came off and went straight into my brain. I said, you know, this is not so how you do baba. Yeah, in your face, around your head. 
in my face. It's going right up my nose into my brain. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the next thing I know, I'm walking around a temple site there that we'd set up a little tent, and I'm feeling dizzy when I sit back down. They tell me I never actually got up. I was already out of my body when I thought I was walking around the tent. And that when I, when I was sitting at, in front of that bowl, I went face down into the pava powder. Mm. And that, that the only, they, they knew the gods were present and things had already started. So the only person that could touch me was the one who had given me the powder because it was his kuleana, his responsibility for having given me that bag. He came over and pulled my head out of the ava dust and the others rushed in and they were pouring cold water over me and wrapping sacred tea leaves around my head and massaging me because they knew I'd gotten a very powerful dose of this particular plant and that my spirit was going to leave my body. And if my spirit did not come back to my body within three days, I was going to be dead. Yeah. And, you know, sacrificing a nice Jewish boy from Texas was not <laughs> what they had come to do uh -huh, uh -huh. at the ceremony. So they very much wanted me to get back in my body. So I did. Right, but before I did, I was out in this vast grayness. It was all just gray, and it was this shimmering light, the heat light that you see in Texas, you know, out in the distance. It was that kind of shimmering light. And then suddenly there were all these colored lights flowing past me, and then out of the colored lights emerged this human figure. And a voice said to me, you're watching a new God being born. And bam, I was back in my body looking at the, the kahuna and the other priests and going, <laughs> I got a story to tell. Yeah. So I told them what had gone on, and, and we understood that if events happen, you sit with them. And the information will eventually come to you that will explain to you what that experience was all about. Yeah. That's a whole other story. Okay. Okay. But the next day, we did the actual ceremony we came to do, which was a procession through the Pukuhonua. Uh, blowing the conch shell, carrying these very large bamboo poles on which were affixed the flags of the temple that have teaching symbols on them, triangle, circle, square, different colors. And we went over to the, the, the fenced area where there was a little house, which was the sacred site, and, and strapped the poles to the fence so the flags were flying. And then the temple, the, the kahuna and the other priests went in to do the ceremony. They suggested I wait outside and ask people to keep a respectful distance because they, they, I had never been in there before and it, they didn't want anything to go wrong given what had happened the day before. <clears throat> so I stood outside the gate and the energy coming off of that ceremony was just phenomenal. Yeah. Nobody came within 100 yards of us. Everybody was standing way away and watching what, what was happening. And when they finished their ceremony, we put the gate back on and processioned back to our campsite, blowing the the conch shell and all of that. And when we got back to the campsite and had done a, a cleansing in the pools there and we're sitting around, the, two of the National Guard uh, officers came over, not National Guard, uh, National Park uh, officers came over and said, you know, did you all put up some flags on the uh, Haleokiave, the little house there, on the fence? I'm getting a, we, a little bit, the reception is a little bit, little bit uh, low there, if you can, uh, so that the National Park guards or whatever are here with you? The, the, the National Park uh, guards, yeah, okay. they came over. Two of them came over to us at the campsite mm -hmm. and said, that, did you all put up some flags on the Haleokiavi? That's the house where the temple altar was. Okay. And we said, yes, we did. And here's an interesting observation. This is what they said. 
Well, they don't look very traditional. Okay. Like we're supposed to, you know, we're not supposed to do things that are new. Uh-huh. We're only supposed to uh-huh. do things that are traditional. Uh-huh. And the, the, the Kahuna said to them, "Well, you know, the Catholic Mass used to be in Latin too, didn't it?" Yeah, yeah. And that shut them up. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things we found out was, despite our our walking procession through the whole, which was you know a good big distance, mm-hmm. and blowing the conch shell. Mm-hmm. And doing the procession back, none of the guards at the national park saw us go by, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or heard the blowing of the conch shell. Yeah. So we were in a separate reality, if you will, mm-hmm. while that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so I've had some very profound experiences with the with the Temple of Lono. I've I've been living in the house of the Kahuna now for more than a year and a half as his guest. Mm-hmm. So I've learned a ton about this whole thing. It is a fundamentally scientific faith. That's what's so disturbing about the, the slanders that are put on it, mm-hmm. you know, as being some kind of superstition or whatever. When, it, when you understand that the sun heats the ocean and the water vapors rise and the, the, the magnetic field of the earth forms clouds and the clouds drop the fresh water that makes the crops grow, that's, that's the hydrologic cycle. Right. Can you tell me, I know we were going to talk about Standing Rock, I know you had mentioned uh, the king had, had issued a, a request for the, the Pope to withdraw, let's say, the, like the Doctrine of Discovery. Um, let me ask you about uh, so the Temple of Lono. It sounds like it's really intricate, bound, intricately bound up with um, the movement for the reestablishment of the Kingdom of Hawaii. And, and can you just tell me about on, on that point where the Kingdom movement is and how it folds into, which is really a global press. And I know it's it's been ongoing for for a long time uh, since you know 500 years now, I, I suppose. But the, the the broader push for indigenous sovereignty, whether it's in Standing Rock with the Lakota people, uh, or you know in, in Ecuador or, or, or wherever, um, but how does this movement? It sounds like this is a religious movement. It's a, it's a it's a so- movement for sovereignty, self determination, uh, religious liberty. Uh, how, how how do you how do you frame it? Right, and 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 by the way, you've got issues there in San Antonio too. Yes, uh, we do. With uh, indigenous people. Oh, and yes, we do. The burial grounds at the at the missions and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, the, the the kingdom is actually an interesting picture because it's a little different than others. Mm-hmm. The kingdom was a nation, internationally recognized, mm-hmm. and composed of people of many different backgrounds, mm-hmm. not just Native Hawaiians. So, in trying to restore the kingdom, it's not quite the same as asserting rights of indigenous people. Because you already have political relationships, inter, international, if you will, interstate relationships at that point. The kingdom had treaties with dozens of countries. Okay, okay. So, you know, that was a, that's one difference in what it's doing. At the same time, there's no question that the kingdom government views the Hawaiian civilization as a valuable and important part of its history that it wants to preserve, protect, and enhance. Mm-hmm. So the the idea that the Department of Interior wants to separate out the Native Hawaiians as a tribe is totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's an internal issue for the kingdom. That's not an issue for the occupying power. Right. And as far as the, the rising up of indigenous people all over the world, yes, it is happening. And Stan Bach has really galvanized people all over the world. And it's wonderful to see all of the tribes come together and form a, basically a coalition of more than 300 tribes. That's, that hasn't happened in generations. Mm-hmm. And I expect a whole lot more to come of that and to see it happening more and more around the world. 
the kingdom is very dedicated to trying to correct the wrongs of the past, whether those wrongs were done to the kingdom as a nation, or to the Native Hawaiians as a, an indigenous people, or to the Native Americans as an indigenous people, or any of the indigenous people around the world. So the king did write a letter to Pope Francis and called his attention to the various documents that had been issued by the, by the Catholic Church that had basically justified treating the indigenous people as human and taking their lands and, and enslaving them and, and murdering them and all the rest of it and asking the Pope to please withdraw, particularly the one that Pope Alexander VI issued that justified the, the, the doctrine of discovery. You know, whatever you discovered was yours, even if somebody was already there when you discovered it. Uh, and asking Pope, Pope Francis to withdraw that document. You may and get to that start with this Pope. Problems. Yeah, <laughs> you may get that with this Pope. I don't know. Well, it's quite possible. You know, he's done a lot of things that nobody expected he would do because he's really a man of the people. Yeah, yeah. Seems so. Yeah, sure. Well, um, Lanny, listen, thank you so much for the education. Um, I, I know I, I, uh, we're just getting a, a thumbnail deep on this, and, and a lot of that is my own ignorance, uh, limiting probably our, our conversation, but it's been, it's been really profound. Uh, I would uh, lo always look forward to updates from you. And if people want to track uh, either your work or to track uh, this, the issue of the, the telescope there, uh, what is the best, what's the best resource for them? Um, well, it's, there are groups on Facebook that are about Mauna Kea. That's the name of the mountain, M-A-U-N-A, -A -A, Mauna Kea, K-E-A. Okay. And they regularly post information about what's going on. Uh, regarding the telescope and the and the uh, the mountain, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if I have a, a mailing list that I send out uh, irregular updates to, okay. and if someone would like to be on my mailing list, I'd be happy to add them. My email address is Lanny L A N N Y dot Sinkin S I N K I N at gmail dot com. Okay. And I'd be happy to you know if somebody wants to be on the email list to, for updates. I'd be happy for them to send me a message. Okay. All right, that sounds wonderful. Uh, listen, Lanny, I appreciate so much your time, and uh, I wish you a good afternoon, and, and I, I look forward to, to speaking with you uh, on our next opportunity. Okay, thank you for the opportunity to do it. Okay, we'll see you. Aloha. Uh, aloha.